Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to the meeting. I want to recognize former County Judge Jay Dineshka, and Range Mayor Jan Dockery here, and I see Council Lady Violet Batsy Zabronik here. I want to welcome all of you here to our meeting. If you are able, would you please stand at this time, please? Lord, we thank you for the blessings you have bestowed upon us. We ask that you grant us patience and perseverance during our trials and tribulations and humility and gratitude with our victories. We thank you for allowing us to live in the best county of the best state, of the best nation in the world. We ask that you guide us to make wise decisions for the greater good here today. In your name, amen. If you will remain standing, please, County Clerk, bring the feet and will lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance first to the U.S. flag and then to the Texas flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, Filled with that acceptance, and we want to take that even further. 
um, and, and continue with turtling services, but also recognize um, all of those in our counties that, like I said, are a little bit different than us, but um, are just as gracious, just as kind, um, and deserve the um, same um, opportunities to grow and love and play. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Destiny. Thank you for what you do. Do I have a uh, motion to accept Destiny Bensick's remarks? <clears throat> I move we sign a proclamation proclaiming the month of April 2023 as Autism Acceptance Month in Fayette County. Do I have a second to that? Second. Second, second by Commissioner Sternhardt. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Cassie, we sign that proclamation at this time. Yes, you want to take a picture real quick? Yes, uh, come on, This subject is on the agenda because it was brought up at the last commissioner's court meeting that the county gave $500,000 in ARP funds, money from the federal government, back in October of last year. That is the purpose of asking Mr. Kimball, Mr. Pilon, and Mr. Kendrick to be here today. Those who have signed up to speak on this issue this is an item on our regular meeting agenda. The county has no control over the hospital. This is not a meeting to resolve the issue with the hospital. We must have parameters with how this discussion will proceed. As the county clerk mentioned prior to the start of the meeting, 
one minute to ask a question. This is so that we don't have a lot of comment prior to a question. Five minutes to who the question is given to respond, and three minutes for comments. So let us start with the reason we are here. The court feels we have the right to know how the money that the court gave to St. Mark's five months ago was spent. So I'll open it up with that to Mr. Kimball, Mr. Pilon, or Mr. Kendrick, is it? Yes, sir. Mr. Kendrick, you're acting as the uh, CEO of CHC? Yes, sir. And Mr. Pilon, you are on St. Mark's board as well as CHC board? I am. I'm the chairman of St. Mark's board. And Mr. Kimball, you are the administrator of St. Mark's? Yes, that is correct. Okay, well, let's start with that question that was asked at the last commissioner's court meeting. Yes. So, <clears throat> as you all know, the court had approved and uh, transfer, transferred dollars uh, fed carrying through the American Rescue Act, $500,000. So, we have purchased one piece of equipment at this point in time. It's called a CR, it's an imaging device. Uh, the cost of that was $135,500 uh, for that. The remaining funds, which is $364,500, have not been expended at this time. They have been placed <coughs> in a board-restricted account, which requires the board to uh, approve the expenditure of those funds. <coughs> so it's not an operational account or anything like that. Uh, the plans for these funds, for the remaining funds, this $364,500, uh, is to purchase a cardiovascular imaging camera. That is a cost of approximately $25,000, as well as upgrading some of our radiology equipment to a digital platform. The cost of that is $196,000. And that's really the ease of being able to share medical images uh, and really to support this transition from this REH model, because as we know, more patients will be transferred to other hospitals and be able to share that. So this gives us a balance of $143,000 once those funds have been expended, $143,500. We are continuing to evaluate uh, our capital needs with this. Imaging is certainly a part of that. Lab is a part of that as well. Uh, so those are the funds that was designated that we received from Fayette County. I think there was also a question about Lee County. Lee County, uh, they uh, gave us $295,000. Uh, they deemed that. Was that last year, sir? That was last year. They deemed that uh, to be part of our building automation system <coughs> project and those funds have been expended and uh, that has been reported to the court there in Lee County as well. Well, uh, of the 500,000, you purchased a machine and the, uh, the rest of that balance is still there. In retrospect, perhaps that money should be made before transitioning to perhaps not be necessary to transition. Is that a fair question? And who made that decision to transition to REH? Was that the local board? The transition to the local board, yes. The transition to the REH model. 
uh, that was our local board, and Mr. Powell can certainly speak to those particulars of that. And the transition was made because you financially couldn't keep the doors operating as a full hospital? That is correct. So uh, with the REH model, uh, this is a brand new federal designation. Uh, the last designation was approximately 25 years ago, and it enhances your reimbursement level. So the hospital certainly was not on a good financial footing. And so there are limitations associated with this model. But this rural emergency hospital model, you have to, uh, it provides critical outpatient services to a community that cannot afford to sustain a rural community hospital. And those services are a 24-7 ER and any outpatient services. It, the limitations, it does not allow you to have inpatient care. So that's why inpatient care had to be eliminated uh, with this model. So uh, we have transitioned to that new model. Uh, January the 1st of this year, CMS approved this model. Uh, the state of Texas approved that uh, January the 13th through an emergency ruling uh, with that. And so, uh, and then our board went to work and we approved to transition from a general acute care hospital to the rural emergency hospital with this. So the day that we applied for our license, which was January the 17th, which was a Friday uh, with that, uh, our application was approved by the state. Now, CMS or the federal government has to approve the licensure as well. That is in the CMS office in Dallas. Uh, we expect that to be approved within the next week, but we, that has not been approved at this point of doing that. Once that approval takes place, then the new payment model uh, for REH will take place. So it enhances your reimbursement for Medicare 105% uh, as well as it also gives us a facility payment of $272,000 a month. Okay, so because, if I'm understanding you correctly, Mr. Kimball, because you are now an REH, you will be receiving $272,000, I think you said, monthly. Yes, as well, once the approval from CMS, $272,000 a month, and then we'll receive enhanced reimbursement for Medicare payments of 105%. Gentlemen, before I open it up to the, uh, those out in the audience, do you have any questions you'd like to ask uh, any of these three gentlemen? The equipment that you said that you bought, with the ARP money at first, that was called the CR. Is that what you called it? Yes, sir. Do you all still have that equipment at the facility? Yes, sir. We do. You know, you know, there's all kind of rumors and all kind of things we get told from the community and citizens and some of your employees that y'all let go and everything like that. We were advised that y'all already sold much, so much y'all already sold off so much of your equipment that y'all have in the hospital. No, we have not sold off. So any equipment we're in the process of doing inventory, any equipment that is potentially going to be sold, that would be approved by the board. Uh, of that. Uh, one thing that we do not want to do is sell the equipment 
and let me state this, this designation, this REA, allows us to go back to a general acute care hospital. Uh, so this is an emergency rule. So if uh, we get on better financial footing and we can provide, let's say, inpatient care or surgical care, all we have to do is make an application and we can go back to this model. So um, there, there's some leased equipment that we have to return. We have to be working with our vendors about equipment that we do not outright own and lease equipment. So that's probably where some of that is coming from. So as of this time, you haven't sold any of your own equipment or anything like that? I don't believe so. I, 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 I think that's correct. I think so. so what's, what's, I mean, what's the, what's the long-term goal? What's the long-term plan? What's the outlook look like? Well, St. Mark's. So the long-term plan and the outlook for St. Mark's is this community has to support this hospital, and that's what we need. We need support. If there's health care services that are needed, they need to come to the hospital, and they need, if they have emergency care, to be able to see our emergency room, to see our emergency room physicians uh, with that. Uh, if they're needing labs, for instance, they need to come and get their lab work done. If they're going to have surgery, let's say, in Austin or another area uh, of the community, they can still come and receive those lab works here. Any imaging services, so any outpatient services uh, of tied and associated with this uh, is what we're asking the community to, to support us. This financial model, okay, this financial model uh, allows us and buys us some time. <coughs> what it doesn't allow us to do is our mortgage. And that's really the essence of why we're here. Uh, this mortgage, we owe $13.1 million on the mortgage. The term on the mortgage is we have seven additional years to pay on this mortgage. <coughs> so the mortgage itself, it is associated with HUD. It's a 242 loan. And so uh, with this mortgage, HUD guarantees but the, uh, the debt on the building to the lender, and the lender is called limit, is who that is. So, for instance, if we were to default, HUD, the federal government, is going to pay limit 100% of that. So what we've been able to do with HUD and limit recently is we've been able to negotiate for our principal payment and our interest payment to be paid out of a mortgage reserve fund. The mortgage reserve fund is with HUD, and that is a requirement that we have to have with HUD. There is approximately $2.7 million in that. They have approved up to 12 months, but it is a month-to-month -month approval process. So each month we have a request in writing that comes from Mr. Pilot of that. We have to put our business plan together what our projections are, and how the hospital is functioning. But in this model, in this model, this REH model, it will not service the debt on our, on our hospital, on our mortgage with that. So between now and the next 11 to 12 months, that's what's got to be addressed, the, the, uh, the mortgage on the hospital. So what's your plans for that? I mean, if y'all so, know that you're not going to be able to pay your debt on the mortgage, I mean, what's are just going to keep riding it out. Or? So part of the process is we were facing 
imminent closure uh, based off of the trend of where the data is going. And you know, one of the things that the board wanted to make sure it was able to do is if we're facing that, they would be able to have appropriate transition for the employees, give them appropriate. Like the employees that actually had to be let go in the transition to the status we are now, they were paid severance, they were paid their PTO. So they wanted to treat the employees as fairly as possible through this process and continue to move the process forward. But this designation literally was approved on January 13th and we were having a board retreat on January 14th when it, it just happened. So it, it gave a new lifeline for hope. Okay, so the, the path that we're on does have a bottom line. Um, if, if we get the performance data that we see now, it has a positive bottom line. Right now that number is somewhere around $600,000 positive bottom line if we can get through this transition. And I, I do say if, because there's still some hurdles we have to get through, that's what we're trying to accomplish right now. But if we get to that spot, we will have a positive bottom line, and then will there possibly be a path to work with HUD? So far HUD's been working very cooperative with us. They don't want to close hospitals, but they also have a fiduciary duty to manage that debt issue. So we have bought ourselves a year to try to have new opportunities. And again, some of the information we brought for all of you today to have is the Texas Hospital Association's report on the critical nature, nature that rural hospitals are facing right now. One in four rural hospitals in Texas are at imminent risk of closure. Okay? That's from a company called Kaufman Hall, which is put together by the Texas Hospital Association. One in 10 hospitals in the state of Texas are at risk of closure. The rural hospitals are in more danger. But not just in that category alone, there's all kinds of activity that are going on, like this rural emergency hospital designation. There is efforts to be had. We have reached out to both the counties, Lee and Fayette. We've also reached out to the cities. We've also reached out to the state legislature and are asking for help. And the help is to get us through that transitionary period. But also on the backside, we will have the possibility of trying to renegotiate the debt structure. Okay. Back in 2000 and I think 2010, the debt was 23 million. So it's been paid down over the years under a mortgage. Uh, so that debt is, is gone down considerably, but now we're at a spot where there's not enough financial performance of the institution to serve it under its current terms. Excuse but me, if we can show stability, we may be able to cause that to get redone later. We've bought some time. Mr. Kendrick, yes. I missed that number. What did you say the original debt was, please? I believe in 2010, which is when uh, CHC came to the table, it was $23 million, 23.5, something like that. And today it's 13.5. How much, how much in COVID funds did you receive? So, I've not got that information yet. Commissioner Brosman's question was how much COVID funds was received by St. Mark's? Answer that question. So, we received $13.6 million in COVID funds. Uh, so, $3.9 million was in the form of a short-term loan that had to be paid back to Medicare. Medicare, it was called Medicare Advanced Accelerated Payments. Those funds have been paid back in 2022. Uh, we received $4.4 million in COVID provider relief funding. Of that amount, of that 4.4, 3.1 million was to offset lost revenue by the CDC directed shut down on all surgical and other services during the early months of the public health 
emergency. The remaining 1.3 paid for increased costs utilizing contract labor personnel, additional pharmaceutical, and <coughs> supply costs and equipment needed to care for patients that were hospitalized and treated for COVID. All the provider relief funds were used, utilized to prevent, prepare for, and to respond to the coronavirus pandemic. 3.8 million was received in the form of two separate payroll protection program loans that ultimately was forgiven. These funds allowed St. Mark's uh, to retain and pay all the staff during the beginning of the pandemic period, which all surgical and elective surgeries were ceased. So when you say two parts, are you saying it was 3.8 twice? No, it was 3.8 combined. 3.8 combined, okay. yes. And we, one, one comment on that, during that period of time, a big piece of it was the fact that they, they came in and said, you can't do surgery. Have to be shut down. So they didn't want the employees not to be able to be paid. They didn't want the organizations to suffer the ability to service their debt. So they came in. That's what those dollars were to offset the revenue that you would have. So the COVID dollars couldn't just be spent on anything that someone wanted to spend them on. They have to be meeting the criteria that he just mentioned. It's covering it's either preventing COVID, addressing COVID issues, or personnel costs. But it was a very defined area that has an audited process to make sure those dollars were spent. They didn't go to any organization, any individual. They went to service the needs of COVID. And during COVID, the hospital serviced over 2,300 COVID patients. Uh, it, was, it was essential that it was there to do that. Through the American Rescue Plan grant, we received 929,000. Uh, through the state of Texas Department of Agriculture, there was $334,000 as well as through, we received $250,000 uh, from the American Rescue Plan from the federal government, which flowed through the state. But again, all of these funds, these $13 million worth of funds, were related to labor, both contract as well as staff, lost revenue due to the shutdown, COVID supplies, equipment, and pharmaceuticals. Uh, as you know, there are no new COVID funds uh, available. You know, one thing you said earlier that I just don't agree with whatsoever is that you said that one thing that has to be done is that the uh, local community in Fayette County needs to help support the hospital. I think that's what the citizens have been doing over the past few years. We've been coming to your hospital. We've been putting our trust in you. And I mean, that's just my opinion. But my opinion is that uh, it's not the citizen's job to bail you out every time there's poor management that is done from the top down. That's not the citizen's responsibility. Every time something's not done right, you can't come to the citizens and expect them to foot the bill. And I just feel, I feel this way, and I, numerous of my constituents that have called me uh, whenever all this took place, that's exactly how they feel. And another part of it is that nobody, well, I shouldn't say nobody, the majority of the people that have responded to me and called me, they do not trust CHC one bit. And they say that the only reason uh, that the uh, bond did not go through is because CHC and not having enough transparency. Well, I was thinking of that representing CHC. Uh, CHC. Uh, Mr. Yes, Kendrick sir. and Mr. Kimball, I appreciate y'all being here. When you when you talk, could you speak as loud as you could, please? I know some folks in the back can't quite hear you, so for their benefit, please speak. <coughs> Certainly, I'd like to speak to what 
Commissioner Bishop said. So, one, I want you to understand who CHC is. CHC is a healthcare company that's been around for 27 years. We were formed by 13 not-for-profit hospital systems in the state of Texas for the sole purpose of trying to help hospitals like St. Mark's. Okay, we, we don't own St. Mark's. We have one board vote on St. Mark's board, and we're there to try to help St. Mark's be successful. Okay, we charge St. Mark's a management fee, a small management fee, $21,500 a month, that during this process that we're going through with COVID, to try to determine who can become a rural emergency hospital, we've said we're not gonna charge a management fee for 2023. So we're not charging management fees. So you're saying per month, the only money that CHC gets from St. Mark's is $27,000? $21,500 is the management fee. Now there are other expenses like the CEO, the CFO, the CNO, are expenses associated with their positions that are direct passes, there's no markup on it, it's what their, what their costs are. There's, there's numerous costs. So then the amount would be more than just 21,000, what you said. If you, four dollars that are going to CHC services we provide, but for the positions, if, if they weren't under our payroll, they would be under someone's payroll. Uh, so it's not like it's coming to the benefit of CHC, it's to pay for the personal costs of the people that are working here. But the other piece that I'm trying to make sure we're, we're conveying here is that CHC, from a board perspective, we exist as a company to help organizations like this. Okay, we, we, um, we have nine hospitals in the state of Texas that we work with. We have 27 hospitals we work with across the country. We have 130-something hospitals across the country that we work with in our GPO product. So we're touching hospitals all across this country, and our mission is not a bottom line. Our mission is to sustain healthcare in rural America and help every way we can. All of our initiatives are designed to help. So, you know, I've heard things over the years of like, oh, if you, money's going here, it's going to Plano. It's not. That, that's just not an accurate statement. If money's going into St. Mark's, it's going to St. Mark's to help St. Mark's. Over our tenure with St. Mark's, we've had expenses like those we were discussing earlier that the hospital wasn't able to pay. Okay, so we have over a million, million and a half dollars that we weren't paid for money that we put out on St. Mark's behalf that we haven't been paid back for. Okay, during COVID, we didn't get any of those dollars. We didn't take any of those dollars out of the money that came from the governor. Okay, we are truly here to help St. Mark's be sustainable. And if, from a tax perspective, if people say they don't want to support it from a tax perspective, that's the voter's choice, and that's that's something that, that voters have to make their decision on and move forward with. Well, what we're saying is we're trying to find a path for sustainability. And this is not a managerial issue. That's why we brought you the information. This is a statewide issue. When they, when they tell you that one in four hospitals in rural Texas are at imminent risk of closure, that's an issue that's the statewide issue. This is not because CHC's pulling money out. The about, I mean, I don't want to get too far down this path, but the, the reality is, is the dollars that are spent are spent very efficiently, and the costs are the bigger problem that we're facing right now. The hospital was at risk of closure in 2019 when we were looking at selling the hospital. We were trying to sell it to an Austin-based system. That deal fell through. It was an imminent closure then. That's why it was looking to be sold. But then when it didn't sell, they went out for the tax referendum. That failed. If that had not, nothing else had changed, the hospital probably would have closed. But then COVID came, and then these relief dollars took us from where we were in 2019 to now and we're back in the same spot. But when we were in the same spot, then the legislature passed something that said, hey, you can try a rural emergency hospital designation. Okay, that's another chance for us to keep as much services in this community as possible. 
And that's what we're doing. We're, we're trying to continue to find models to keep as much health care in your community as possible. And if the community does chooses not to help from a tax perspective, then we'll do everything we can to make it work without that. But the support that Mark is speaking to mostly is what you said. When people come to that hospital and perceive services, the hospital's got great awards for service, for success, top 100 hospital awards, quality awards, it proved its health rating awards. I mean, it's had great improvements in all of those things and it's providing good quality care. The staff there are doing a great job. When your expenses go up by 30%, which is what they had happen at the hospital through the pandemic, not because someone wanted to go throw money at something, but because it's costing that to employ the same people to do the same jobs. It's up 30%. Their margin was less than 2%. Now it's losing money. We're trying to find a way to help them be sustainable. Do you know how many rural hospitals have closed over the past three years? Um, over the last three years in the country or in the state? In the state of Texas. There's probably only been a handful. I think it's been zero. I don't think any of them. There's been some that have closed, yeah. I don't think there's any. I don't think there is. I might be wrong. At least within the past two years, there's been zero hospitals. Rural hospitals have closed. Well, Mr. Brosman's comment for you is that it's his understanding that there's been no hospital closures in the last two years in rural Texas. Is that right? Well, I would, in I the last two years, right. because of the pandemic, the, the dollars that have came in through, like we were talking about here, have sustained a lot of hospitals. I, I apologize. I think about during the pandemic period, that's just been another world war. Uh, yeah. So if this pandemic funds wouldn't have come in, this hospital probably would have shut down in about 2019? Yes, sir. <clears throat> it was so, and it would have probably been, and then HUD would have taken a big hit because HUD is owed $13 million. Y'all would have lost a million dollars. Million and a half. dollars. So it's, I mean, it's to y'all interest to keep it open. It's the community's interest to keep it open, but you know, <clears throat> 2019 it would have shut down. Today it probably would have been bought out and it would have been, someone would have bought the hospital and it probably have been opened back up. It just seems like we're kicking the can down the road. Now we're going to this, uh, this rural emergency hospital. You know, I don't, who's to say in a couple of years when those funds run out, because this two hundred seventy thousand you're getting won't won't pay the mortgage, right? No, sir. The mask, so, the mask is to say it won't pay for itself. So, I, you know, I don't know where we're, if we're getting anywhere at all, other than taking the can down the road, and then two years from now we start back over, right here again, saying, hey. "Have you all been approached by anybody?" So back up to answer part of your question, which you're stating. So back in two thousand nineteen, actually eighteen, they the board made a decision to go out and engage an external consultant to see is there anyone that's willing to come in and partner to buy St. Mark's to okay. So that was after we had we had an Austin based healthcare provider that we were trying to sell to. That's what we thought was happening. And then at the last hour it just didn't go through. So then the board moved forward with engaging an outside consultant to go out and say, is there anyone out there that will work with St. Mark's, will sell by St. Mark's that will come in and provide help. That company did, was not able to find anyone that was willing to come in and do that, and that's why we keep trying to keep the can on the road. Well, if they would have came in, they probably would have had to take on the $13 million debt on top of it, right? Yeah, if someone were taking, coming in, they would have to take on the debt, or it's going to have to go through a, a bankruptcy and come out of bankruptcy. I mean, I, I don't know why anybody would want to buy a hospital and take on $13 million on top of it, yeah. so, at, you know, I can see why nobody yeah. wanted to take it on, because... Yeah. Mr. Kibbett, uh, Commissioner Berkenhoff's question, you agreed with it. He said... The 272 month that you get from the government as an REH does not 
meet the debt, and you said that's correct. But that is that correct? Is the debt more than two hundred seventy-two thousand a month? The with the two hundred seventy thousand dollars into operation, paying all the bills, what's left in the end of the year would not be enough to service the debt. The debt service annually is about one point nine million dollars. Okay, so if, if if you only put it toward that, then the math would work. But you have to operate the hospital. The dollars that are left over after operating the hospital are not sufficient to right. service. I understand, but to clarify that. The debt service, the 272, is, it does not ex exceed 272, the debt service. The debt, the debt service annually is about $1.9 million. And what does that compute to a month? What are, but it's less than 272. Yes. 166. Okay, 166. Okay. So Commissioner Birkenhoff's question and point, and you agreed to it, that wouldn't be accurate to say that the, the 272 doesn't cover the debt. It does. It doesn't make the operations profitable enough to service the debt. Okay, it, that, it, the, the 272 is to allow the hospital to try to operate and have a positive bottom line. With the hospital operating, it does not have enough of a positive bottom line to service the debt. Right now, our best estimate, and not having a management fee at all from us, is around $600,000 of a positive bottom line as we currently stand today. So with the 272 coming in, paying all the bills, doing all the things we need to do, you would end up with about $600,000, that's without a management fee, $600,000 on a current debt structure, debt service of $1.9. How do we come up with that money dump? So a lot of it varies. What's your question, Commissioner? How, how do we come up, to? how do we get enough to, to service our debt? I mean, we've got the 272, but I mean, that's enough to keep the staff and the hospital running, but how do we get the other portion to, to be able to come so, up with one? Again, the HUD agreement is they've said we're going to give you a year period, but again, we have to ask every month. So if they don't feel like things are going well, they can say no and, and this process stops. HUD is really the biggest driver of the ability for this to continue to move forward because every month we have to ask them to pay our debt service out of a mortgage reserve fund. So that gives us the year to do that, and these are our projections now. Okay, based off of what we're looking at, and we're going to do everything we can to try to grow and improve those numbers to make them stronger, but also at the end of the day, can we work with HUD and say, look, here's what we're able to do. Could we restructure this? Could we put a longer term on it? Again, over the, since 2010 to 2023, we've paid it down from 23 down to that number, so they may be willing to if we can show that sustainability of this period. Now, we asked the state for $2 million in helping us transition from where we were at to the new designation. And that goes through things like when you have to let people go and you pay them severance and you have those costs and you have to shut down your gases and all of those costs. The state did not give us that $2 million, though there's still hope that there's some transitional funding that's going to come from the state. And that's where we're trying to make sure we're all on the same page. Because right now we're surviving. We didn't get that $2 million. We're hoping that it might be there in the future. But the foundation, hospitals foundation, gave the hospital $500,000 last month. And CHC's agreed to not have a management fee for 2023. So that's got a $700,000, but we still got to keep going over these hurdles. And literally that's what we're doing every month is looking at what dollars are there and trying to keep them. Going. Why did the state choose not to give you this hospital $2 million? There's not a vehicle to do it. The request is that this new designation, which was just formed on January 13th, We've asked the state and asked some state officials, can you put some transition funds in to the rural emergency hospital designation? 
Okay, so that's what we're trying to get them to do because there's only going to be a handful of hospitals that pursue this route. Because okay? there's only a handful of hospitals that will fit the criteria for one, but ones that fit the criteria that are going to move forward with it. The reason they're moving forward is this is not the best option. This is the best option available. I mean, we don't want to go from not being full service to being a rural emergency hospital, but if that means you, that's your option opposed to closing, that's a better option. I believe that whenever we contacted the state's office, senator's office, they said that St. Mark's was the only one that was requesting $2 million or actually requesting any money at all for the transition phase to go from a hospital to REH. St. Mark's was the only one in the state of Texas requesting money for the transition. So, yeah. they, so they they, did, did, yeah, they, they chose not to give it to St. Mark's, not to not give it to the system. Yeah. If nobody else is asking for it, they just chose that maybe they looked at St. Mark's like, you know, this is two million dollars that we're just throwing money at them. That's not going to help anything. What Commissioner Birkenhoff and Commissioner Roseman are asking Mr. Kendrick and Mr. Kimball is that Mr. Kimball is saying that they requested. St. Mark's requested $2 million to make the transition to an REH. And Commissioner Brosman and Commissioner Birkenhoff's question is, no other rural hospital asked for that money, only St. Mark's. So the biggest criteria that I can, and again, I, I don't know what other hospitals have done, so I'm not speaking to it specifically, but we're probably one of the larger hospitals that are doing this transition. You know, most of these hospitals that are doing this type of transition are much smaller, and that's based off the feedback I've had from the uh, TORCH organization, which is Texas Rural Hospital Organization. But we are probably the largest hospital that's pursuing this designation. And the only reason we're pursuing this designation, it was closure or this designation. So in that process, the transition has cost, and these aren't just because, hey, we want to have money that we're going to go spend on something frivolously. This is things like, hey, we're going to let 74 people go from their jobs. We wanted to have the dollars necessary to pay them severance, which we did. What was the number of severance days? Uh, 75%. Yeah. That's 75% yeah. of so PTO. A month, so yeah. a month severance, 30 days. Yeah. And then their PTO. Yeah. So the dollars that we're talking about having for transition are to make sure that someone doesn't just get told, hey, we're not here anymore. Sorry. You owed money. You know, the board has been very conscientious about trying to make sure there's dollars there to appropriately take care of the people that are there providing the care. You know, I remember whenever you came to Commissioner Scorpion and you were asking for the ARP funds whenever we granted them to you the first time. And you said you were going to buy for updating equipment and some other services y'all were going to do and stuff like that. I, I can't remember exactly what it, what, it, what, what it was exactly, but I remember you said it was for updating equipment and purchasing equipment. It just, I find it hard to believe that. We gave it to you on um, October of 2021. <coughs> That's correct. October of 2021, and here we're in 2023, and you still haven't spent not even half the funds. And you said you spent 135,000, correct? To date, that's all you spent. That is, that is correct. So I mean, so did you not? You had to have some kind of plan. I can't remember exactly your your whole. Uh, presentation that you gave us that day on the equipment and stuff that you were going to spend it on, but I mean, you have to have something planned. We, we have a Mr. Kimball, let me, let me uh, shout that question out so the audience can hear Mr. Brosman's sure. comment. Mr. Brosman says he is a little puzzled, that's my word, not his, a little puzzled that the revenue that the hospital received in October of 21 is still sitting there. Why hasn't it been utilized? 
I'm going to give a, one quick comment. The board chose to take those funds and put them into restricted funds. Okay? The board is facing very dire financial information. So partially, I would look at it from the perspective of instead of going out and spending money on something, they're evaluating the financial dynamics of what they're in. And someone comes in and says, hey, we want to go buy this. But, well, unless it has an immediate return, you may be buying something that, you know, six months down the road, you're having to say we're going to be closing. Hey, we spent this money on something. Now we're going to go sell it for 60% of what we paid for it. So it's, you already knew back in October of 21 that y'all are in such financial I, I, I stated earlier, we, we knew in 2019 when we went out and were trying to sell the hospital and we explored other people to try to come in and buy the hospital. When we explored it in 2019, we were in that kind of trouble. I guess my question would be with him, why did you come to the court saying that you want to upgrade your stuff and buy new equipment and everything if you knew that the hospital couldn't support that at the time? Well, again, the goal, you don't go into something thinking you're going to fail. You go into something trying to provide more services, generate more revenue, provide more jobs, and take care of patients. But, but apparently you haven't if you only bought one piece of equipment. Yeah. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, you're saying, yeah, you have to go forward. You have to try new things. You have to get new equipment, try to drum in more revenue, get more customers coming in, more patients and stuff. Well, how are you going to do that when you only bought one piece of equipment and you have 364000 still sitting there? That money is there to... So, I mean, I mean you, you say one way, but then you say it another way. Well, we have to make sure that we're careful with this and we don't want to spend it. We didn't want to spend it on something and then we can't afford it. But then, on the other side of your mouth, you're saying, well, we have to go ahead and we have to buy this, we have to buy this equipment so we can pull in uh, customers and, and patients and stuff like that. Well, it, it can't go both ways. It's either one way or another. Well, the decisions were made during a pandemic where the world has never experienced and never faced, and we were dealing with a day-to-day -day issue of how best to take care of the patients and how best to spend the resources we had. And the board looked at that and kept that money in a safe space to say, we've got to figure out where we're at. And no one knew what, in healthcare period, what was going on during the pandemic. And so during that period, I think the decisions they made were very- I mean, I'm, maybe Angela can speak to this on the ARP funds, but I mean, they have to be used. You can't just put it in savings and hold on to them, correct? Exactly, that money was supposed to be spent to be returned back into the economy for the purpose of getting the hospital or whatever back on and, and moving forward so that that's what it was supposed to be for. It was not supposed to go into restricted funds and sit there and gain interest. That's yeah. not the use of the ARP funds. The purpose of putting in a restricted funds is not, it's just so that it's not just gone. It's like, oh, here's some expenses that were paid, operational expenses that were paid. And, you know, there are legitimate operational expenses that someone could have said, hey, we're spending this for. But to make sure and have a good track record of the dollars, that was what was done. So I would suggest keep them in that restricted funds now because if this thing shuts down in two months, we would maybe y'all can just give it back to us and we'll use it for for the rest of Fayette County. So maybe it's in the best place it could be at this time. Mr. Bergenhoff, would you repeat that a little louder? I would say maybe we should leave this the, the three hundred and sixty-four thousand in the restricted funds because if the hospital shuts down in a month or two, maybe they can just give it back to the county and we can use it for for the rest of the for some other projects. I hate to spend it on, I hate to spend $300,000 on a machine and then it goes bankrupt and then the thing is sold for pennies on the dollar. It's just money wasted. I mean, I'm not certain if it can be given back, but I would say don't go spend it on machines that you may not even be here in two months. You need to try to, I know that's not the plan, you don't plan to fail. But I hate to see it being spent and then in the, in the long run, it, it, this hospital has to shut down regardless. I don't know how close it is to that point. So the, the hospital 
is on a monthly basis dealing with asking HUD for the ability to pay its debt service out of mortgage or it's looking at the revenue that it's generating and the expenses that it has, and then also trying to make sure that it maintains a position so that if it looks like it's not going to be sustainable, that we don't just tell our employees goodbye, that we treat them fairly, treat them according to our policies, and try to make sure that they're cared for on a orderly transition to closure if that's what has to happen. I'm just telling you, there's business downtown that shut down tomorrow, and it's, it's just part of doing business. I mean, if it shuts down, I'm sorry people lose their jobs, but I can lose my job tomorrow too. It's, it's you know, how much money was spent out on severance packages on this when these 70 employees were gone? I mean, sure, it was a lot. I mean, if we don't have money to pay the bills, how do we even get money to do a severance package? I mean, that's a legitimate question. Where did that money come from? It's the dollars that, that are remaining in our cash that is dwindling down that okay. we're trying to so, get to the point pay. So you're saying right now that you're relying on, on the on the state funds for the REH, and then also you're relying on the HUD funds, correct? The HUD fund is a monthly request for them to let us pay our debt service out of a mortgage reserve fund, and they've said that they plan to do that for the 2023 year, okay? but we still have to ask every month. So what happens, I'm pretty sure we know, but what happens if the state would cut back on the REH funds, then that would be pretty well do y'all in then? Hey, there's, yeah, we are still in a very difficult position to maintain stability. But it, it, this is not like the, the normal business perspective of, hey, I've got a business and it's not going well. My expenses are up 30%, so I raise our costs. We can't raise our costs. No matter what we decide to charge, we still get paid what the, the biggest payer for healthcare services is CMS. And CMS pays us what CMS pays us based off a variety of formulas. But we can't just tell them, hey, our costs went up, we need more money. So we're trying to manage those increased costs with a basically flat revenue stream. Now we're changing the structure to take away some of this inpatient <coughs> revenue and replace it with a monthly fee coming from the rural emergency hospital designation. And we're trying to thread that needle to cause care to be provided here. And it's not just like a normal business if it goes away. When, if a hospital goes away, things like the county, you know, we, I think I've had some conversations around the EMS expense. Probably Lee and Bay County will face over a million dollars more in EMS expenses if St. Mark's is not there. Uh, and those kind of things. When someone, the 2,300 people that got care for COVID at the hospital during the pandemic, if it's not there, they've got to go somewhere else. That's a critical issue. I mean, there, there, are, there are reasons why a hospital, some people say, should be considered something that has to be supported and maintained. Some people say it's not. That's for the voters to decide. That's not my point. But I don't think there. I don't think any of us. I don't think any of the commissioners or the judge. I'm not speaking for them. I'm speaking for myself. But I don't think any of us want this hospital to fail. We want you to be here for our citizens. Yeah. I mean, y'all are the main. I mean, it's crazy for y'all to even think that we want y'all to fail. We want y'all to keep on prospering and keep on going the way it is. But if 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 it looks like you're not going to be able to make it, and inevitably you're going to have to shut down completely, well. I hate to say that, but maybe we should just bite the bullet and get it done to where somebody else can come in and buy it, and we can get the hospital back open and have full services for our community. So if some, so again, we, we went out and said, is there anybody that wants to come do this? Okay, we have a representative on our board from St. David's. If someone else were to come in and buy the hospital, they would turn it into a freestanding ED, which now with a rural emergency hospital designation, you have a freestanding ED, but you also have other outpatient services. So if, if it were to implode, 
and have to get closed, the vast likelihood, if anyone is interested in coming in and buying it from HUD for the dollars that they're now trying to figure out, which would be a great reduction, they would be coming in to put in a, a freestanding emergency room, which is less than you have with the path we're trying to pursue. How do you know that, Mr. Kendrick? How do you know that whoever comes in isn't going to try to make it a full-fledged hospital? Well, first, we have went out and gave, the board engaged an organization to go out and see if anyone was interested, and we, we have talked to all of the major providers of healthcare in the state and say, hey, would you be interested in St. Mark's? Would you be interested in coming to St. Mark's? And those are feedback that we've gotten is, look, it probably will be best served as a freestanding emergency. Now, that, those conversations took place before the rural emergency hospital designation. Someone else may be willing to come in and operate under that structure. Um, but as far as the, in the past, when we out, asked an outside vendor to help us find someone, they weren't able to find someone. And in the dialogue around, is there anybody interested in doing anything at St. Mark's, the feedback is it would probably end up being a freestanding emergency. But you say that you have no certainty of that. I only have my opinion of doing it and working with people in the state. I'm on the Texas Hospital Association board. I, I know what's going on across the state. I know what's going on where places are looking at closure. Is there is there a timeline on when the funds have to be used? Twenty twenty seven. I'm sorry, what was it? Twenty twenty seven. Twenty twenty seven. We have to report in April to the Treasury Department. And we do have to say what the nineteenth is for. And that goes back to the same thing I was talking about earlier. He was talking about all the dollars that we received during COVID. We have to report. We have to show where those dollars were spent. We you know, it wasn't frivolously done. It was done in an effort to maintain jobs, maintain health care, maintain services for your community. So since they have not used all the funds and they have 364000 sitting in the account, whenever we have to give our report or if they would ask us who would be liable for them not using it the proper way, they would be the county since we gave it to them. So depending on the way a bankruptcy would go, the way it's structured, could this thing just shut down HUD would have to eat their 13 million, you'd have to eat your 1.5, and it would just, nobody would get paid anything. The hospital would lay there, the land in the hospital would go up for sale to, I don't know, St. David's, or somebody could come and see and say, I'll buy it for $2 million, buy the land, the hospital, and then they just take over, and the, all the, the HUD would just have to eat their money. I mean, it's federal money. They eat it all the time. Nobody really cares about the federal government. It's their money. I mean, it's our money. They just, they're the one holding the bill. So HUD, HUD guarantees the lender. Sure. The lender representative is Lumen. So if Lumen doesn't get paid, mm -hmm. then HUD ends up paying Lumen at all, and then HUD has a note for a piece of land, and they would be in a situation of trying to find someone who would pay them as much, many of those dollars as possible. So somebody could come in there and say, "This is I'll give you $2 million, and HUD say, this is the best deal I got. Here's $2 million. I'll take it. That's I mean, that's it could happen. That's speculative, but sure. it could happen, yes. And then it would be laying there, and somebody would have to buy a bigger hospital or somebody, and they would have, then they would just, yeah. instead of, I mean, it would make more sense to take on $2 million with the debt with the, instead of 13.1. I mean, I mean, I don't, I'm not in the, I don't know how all bankruptcy works, but I mean, there's, there's got to be ways that it happens. Well, so, one, there, there's, bankruptcy model is typically a model which we looked at when we were looking at selling it to an Austin-based company. It was to bring it out of bankruptcy and have someone new operating it. That when you don't have someone like that to do that with, then there's no value in it because you're in the exact same spot you just described. But what you just described is also partially to your answer question earlier. 
You know, if we only had $2 million of debt to service, okay, I told you that the math that we look at right now is we think we can get it to $600,000 annual bottom, positive bottom number, okay? That would service a $2 million debt. It won't service the $13 million debt. So maybe when we get to the positive side and we have some positive numbers, which all of this time we will have been continuing to provide health care in the community as much as possible, then maybe we'd say, look, this is just going to implode. You're not going to get to 13. Well, you take, can we refinance it? So that goes back to if there is hope if we can show a positive performance, financial performance, and possibly look at restructuring of the debt. You're also rolling the dice that somebody's going to buy it. I mean, there's no guarantee. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, this whole designation was to keep as many employees with jobs and, as much and to keep an emergency room here that's guaranteed for the time being. The other option, there's no guarantees. I mean, the other thing is healthcare is healthcare is in trouble. I mean, hospitals in the bigger cities, you can't get rooms anymore. I mean, something has got to change at the federal level, the state level, to make these rural hospitals need to succeed. Because the, the, the urban hospitals are getting too full. There's too many people moving to Texas and there's not enough hospitals being built along the power lines. No, but I mean, you can also look at it from the federal government side. They just gave you 13-something million dollars money to help you all out. I mean, I know that you all were swamped with COVID and everything. I'm not denying that one single bit, but $13 million, you know, that, that's, that's a pretty good chunk of change right there. And, and over that two-year period, it was revenue that was there before that wasn't there going forward because they said you can't do these things. All it was was offsetting that revenue that allowed us to keep so – I mean, again, I, I agree with your point. Hey, it's $13 million, but understand that hospital generating a lot amount of revenue, and that lot of that revenue is going to pay for a lot of expenses because we're basically spending it all with virtually no margin. Help, you know, again, we, I want you to understand this is not a St. Mark's issue. This is not a LaGrange, Texas issue. That's why we're leaving you with some information, encourage you to research it. But one in every four hospitals in Texas in the rural markets are at imminent risk of closure. That's not me saying that. That's the data that's out there. And 50%, I mean, I work on a national level, 50% of every American hospital, I think the, actually the number is 48, I'm rounding, I think it was 48% are in the red. Okay? So this is a national issue. This is not, hey, you're doing this or you're doing that and you need to change this, you need to change that. 50%, 48% of every American hospital operated in the red. Okay, we have a national problem. It's a big issue. Do any of the commissioners, Judge? Yes. May I just? I've heard the number thirteen million thrown around a couple of times from our side. We got thirteen million. We had to repay four million, so we only netted nine million that we were able to use. So. That the yeah, the thirteen that and they called it Medicare advance payments. They gave you the money that you would get from Medicare, and over the future they took back pieces of it. So that's been taken back. So they basically said, "Hey, we know you're going to be crushed for cash. We're going to give it to you up front, but we're going to take it back over the going period going forward," which they did, and it's all that's been repaid at this point. Unless the commissioners have any other questions or comments, there are. As I count them, 11 people who have signed in for questions or comments. The first five will be Steve Hillhouse, Joe Jamison, Ed Yanichka, 
Richard Chernowski, and Jeffrey Parker. So we'll start with Mr. Hillhouse, please. Yes, I've got a question that's been on my mind for several years about the actual accounting and financing of the hospital. I pulled up through public records the most recent financial statement that's available. I'm not an accountant. I've been in business here for 40 years, but it is a very solid financial statement. Why does that financial statement read like that and you're broke? So the the financials of the hospital are audited every year, so they're, yeah, they're basically I looked at the these audited, are audited financials, and I'm just telling you that that is what the hospital is currently operating at with a deficit in revenue compared to expenses. We have less revenue than expenses. That's Most not, not according to your financial statement. Uh, yeah, yeah he's, he's actually signed in to speak to you, so sure. please keep that in. Sure, Brown, CFO. Yeah. Uh, why don't you stand up, Mr. Brown? Um, uh, when you get... Uh, Money from the government's funds, you have to take that in and recognize it as revenue. So yes. we did recognize quite a bit, three million, something like that. I don't know the number exactly that means, but a lot of that number uh, in the net revenue and financials are part of the COVID funds. That yeah, that's, that's part of your income. Right. You're taking that's money, right. you're taking money, taxpayer money, doesn't matter whether it's federal government, state, or county, and operate the hospital. Everything that I've heard here is a business model that is set up to operate off taxpayer money. Haven't heard anything positive about getting the operation of the hospital back to a point where it runs like a business. You can't go on the dole of the taxpayers and run anything. It just won't work. Uh, I prepared this list of questions that I would like for the uh, commissioner's court to uh, look at and possibly put into the minutes it's uh, questions that I have for the uh, personnel with uh, CHC and St. Mark's to try to give some, uh, some uh, transparency to what has been going on. Anytime you're running through that, that amount of money and, and shutting down services, laying people off, things like that, your management model is not working. That's bottom line. Mr. Hillhouse, this information you just passed us, are you suggesting this for a future meeting? Yes, sir. Okay. Proceed, please. Okay. <clears throat> but, uh, and I'm waiting on an answer on so what why the financials what show li a liquid company well, and you're broke. Again, from what you're describing and the reality of what we're facing is every month their revenue coming in is less than their expenses. They are losing money. That's not what your financial says. That's not accurate when you look at the total dollar. So if they're accounting for things like the Medicare advance payment, and then the Medicare advance payment is going to come out of the future dollars. Sir, your financial statement goes ahead and shows income and expenses, and then shows adjustments. I, I, I'm telling you that if the hospital was making money, we wouldn't be in this situation. We would, the board wouldn't have faced looking at closure. The board wouldn't have looked facing it, trying to find a better option. But they're not, they're not secret. propaganda like this. If the audited financials follow the accounting principles, and it may show revenue that was got to, has to be spread in the future. But the short answer is, it is producing less revenue than it has expense. That's well, there needs to be some transparency, in my opinion, before St. Mark's CHC gets another dime of taxpayer money. Well, so from a taxpayer, money perspective, from a taxpayer money perspective, 
Hospitals operate with CMS being the absolute largest payer of any hospital in the country. Sure. And that's the government. And in Texas, and Texas chose not to expand Medicaid, yes. so we have a waiver program that allows other vehicles for funding to come in. But there are virtually no rural hospitals that would not survive without those supplemental type dollars. Okay, so that's well, just that's, that's a given. Sir. Okay, but what I'm saying, these other hospitals aren't shutting their doors. Well, what I'm telling you is based off the data that's out there is a lot of people. The commissioner said earlier, yeah. in the past two years, there's not been one rural hospital yeah. shut down in the state of Texas. And right now, the only hospital in the state of Texas that's asking the state for funds is St. Mark's. That, that's something's wrong. That's not an accurate statement, but as an example, I know it's not accurate. Because there's a hospital in San Antonio that is doing the same thing that's actually a much larger hospital that's closing right now. And instead of going to the state, they said went to the safety net hospital university and said, hey, if university doesn't take over, our hospital's going to close. Okay. There are going to be many more hospitals in the state of Texas that close if we do not do something about the reimbursement system and the ability to generate enough revenue to cover our expenses. One minute, please. I'm fine talking now. Well, I just want to say one other point. I've been in the oil and gas business for many, many years. It's a highly regulated industry on what you can produce, what you sell your product for, and uh, expenses always go up. The management has an obligation to go ahead and cut expenses to the point where you broke even. And that's just simple business. And that's what's I realize, med I realize yeah. medicine is a little bit different. Yeah. But in my opinion, it's mismanagement. But what you just described as cutting expenses is what we're doing. When we go to a rural emergency hospital, we're cutting expenses to get them in line. You've got services to go ahead and generate more money from the government. That's what you did. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm finished. Mr. Hillhouse, we will accept this. And what you're asking the court, as I understand it, is to have perhaps in the future, as at another date, have these gentlemen back if they'd be good enough to come yes, back. Yes, I would like for those uh, questions to be okay. answered several okay. times. We will accept uh, that. There is probably a group of uh, Fayette County citizens that would pony up the money to salvage this hospital. If, but you've got to have transparency to see what you're doing. You know, there's no uh, P and L that a person can look at to see if you can even get a business plan. I, I would, uh, as far as Mr. Hellhouse's last comment is concerned, I would say that when this issue came up before the voters and failed miserably, one of the problems was a lack of transparency. Certainly, the perception from the public that it was a, a lack of transparency. Uh, from Mr. Hillhouse's comments and questions, we will go to Mr. Joe Jamison. Good morning. So the question I have is pretty simple because I, I understand what you're trying to do, and I like the explanation that I'm hearing, basically. And I don't know enough about it. I don't operate in your business. I'm in the real estate business. But I'd like to know, since the uh, hospital rooms now are not is, have you looked at, or are there any prospects for repurposing that that could generate additional revenue for the hospital? Maybe as an outpatient uh, surgery center leased to another center? I mean, is there, is there has, have things like that, I'm sure, have been discussed, but are any of them feasible? Okay, speak to that now. Yes, 
So the answer is yes. Um, those, those spaces and those beds could be repurposed. Um, the issue that we're still chasing, and again, is a trying to have a path and a plan to sustainability because we still have the issue of the hurdle of the mortgage. But again, there's a lot of paths that we possibly can get that worked out. But if that were to be sustainable under our model, then you may say, hey, we could go lease these out for someone for a skilled unit, someone for a assisted living, someone for something else. If we're not going to open up surgery, could someone else come in as a separate licensed entity? All those questions are yes, but until we get to the point of sustainability and know that we're going to be on the other side of the HUD problem, we, we, we need to figure out where we're at with that. But the other side of that is we're still holding hope that we can bring you back to full service hospital. Thank you, Mr. Jamison. The next person with a comment or question, former county judge, Ed Yanichka. <clears throat> Mr. Chandler, it's good to have you here this morning. I have two questions and perhaps a follow-up on that. In your annual budget, CEC, what is set aside for board of directors? And I'm talking about salary, travel, going to seminars and things of that nature. How much money is set aside each year for the board of directors on your organization. And the second one is, since we signed this contract with you back in 19, whatever, 2011 or 2012, how much money did St. Mark's give you from that point up to here? What does that amount? So you're asking from a CHC perspective? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so from a CHC perspective, the answer has components to it, so I have to break them out. It's kind of what I was sure. trying to address earlier. So the direct cost associated <coughs> with personnel, things like the CEO, the CFO, and the CNO, those costs are passed through. I, am, I, I don't know the answer off the top of my head. I'll be happy to try to get these answers for you if you want me to time down into the exact number. But those costs are going to be your largest cost. Okay? Your next category is going to be your management fee. And, your, and the management fee has fluctuated. It's actually gone down in uh, our efforts to try. I think it was $25,000 a month. I'm doing this from memory. Um, and we lowered it to the 21.5. Again, back when we were trying to make the numbers better. And then on the 21.5, again, we have suspended it entirely for the 2023 year. Ms. Kenna, I'm sorry to stop you. And yes. I understand all of that. Yes, it's a real simple question. I'm trying from to get the answer From the time that we started with you up to today, how much money did St. Mark's give your organization? I don't have that answer off the top of my head. I'll be happy to try to pull it for you. I'm telling you what makes up the number. Extremely beneficial for all of us to know exactly how much money this St. Mark's has given your organization. Back to the original question. How much money is set aside in your budget for the board of directors to sit on CEC? And I'm talking about travel, expenses, and stuff. So asking me that question is not something I want to know off the top of my head. I, I, again, I can give you the criteria. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't know how much money no, I'm trying to afford it, right? All right. Each month, Dougie, how much do you get each month? I, I don't know, Judge. You what? I do not know. You, you don't know how much money you get? So, the, I, I'll, try, I'll, I'll try to answer you, Judge. The, the board meets on a quarterly basis, okay? And they, they my, my board is a board that is made up of in the past, representatives from communities that we serve. And now we have also people that are in the industry. And on average, the board member probably makes twenty to $25,000 a year for being on our board. That's what the board members get paid. How many times do they meet a month? They meet quarterly. Quarterly? Yes, sir. So once every quarter, 
these people are getting forty-five thousand dollars. That's not what I said. Annually, they make about that number. Well, that's what I'm saying. Okay. They, they, once every three months they meet. They meet four times a year, and they make twenty-five thousand dollars a year. That's a hell of a deal, isn't it? Well, the amount of work that the board is actually required to put in, and when we when we do things like pay for our board members, we use outside agencies like Sullivan Carter to say, what is the appropriate pay for this level of work that they're doing? And that organization comes back to us and says, this is the number. When you meet for the week, how many days are you meeting? Is it one day, five, 15, or what? It's anywhere between two and four. Um, two at a minimum for our regular, and then we have an annual one that's longer that takes four. If you could possibly get that information to us, I think that would be really interesting, especially the amount of money that we have spent over the years. The last question I have to say, and this is anecdotal information, I don't know if there's any truth to it or not, but there seems to be a company that's similar to yours that has gone out and saved other hospitals that were in their need, and they have turned them around and made a profit. They allegedly came and talked to you guys and said, hey, we will take over the hospital, including the debt, and you guys said, okay, but you have to give us a million and a half dollars, and then suddenly that figure was more like 33 million. Does that mean truth to that at all? No, sir, not at all. We, no one has come to no, you I, I and said, okay, okay, we'll take over the hospital. We had an attorney reach out to us without any specifics and said, hey, we might have someone that's interested. We might have a local not-for-profit that's interested. And our message, and we conveyed this to the St. Mark Corps, our message to them was, Sign an NDA so we can start exchanging information. Okay? And I will tell you that based on the comment of transparency earlier, if there's people in St. Mark's that want to save St. Mark's and transparency, you can sit down and show people whatever they want to see. I want to show you anything you want to see. And if you need CHC to step out of the equation, I'll step out of the equation tomorrow. Our company will step out of the equation tomorrow. We're not here to stop you from being successful. I'm telling you things like that. No one, no one has came to the table and said they were willing to take over the Like I said, it was anecdotal information. Yes. So at any rate, you were open to anybody coming in and saying, hey, we will take over the hospital. If, from my position, they have to be willing to take mm -hmm. over the debt that the hospital has. We understand okay? And so, yes, if someone's willing to come over and take over the debt that's associated with the hospital, and y'all say, hey, look, we don't like CHC, we will be happy to step out. Okay? But the, also the hospitals that we have served in this, HUD is the debt, but what he, Dudley just said is HUD has to be a virus, but that's the debt side of the equation. But I welcome anyone that wants to save St. Mark's Medical Center, be happy to sit down with them and talk about it in a very public, open model, that's fine. Transparency is completely fine. Again, we want your hospital to succeed, and I know y'all want the same thing. That's why we're here. I mean, we wouldn't go through these type of meetings if we weren't trying to get you to the place where your hospital is sustainable. Well, as you know, Mr. Kendall, they're always coming around for money. And, you know, and it always comes out to how does this affect me, you know, and how much money am I making? So it's a great concern for us here in the rural area when we're talking about somebody that's in Fort Worth or whatever and sitting around and perhaps making a little bit more money than that. I'm not saying that you need to. But the reality is, is that it would be nice if we had that book open so we could see exactly how much money is being spent and how much money has been spent by State Park from the very beginning. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Mr. Kendrick, uh, so as I understand it, you're in response to Judge Inexpert's comment about someone else taking over, letting CHC <coughs> release it, would that, you're saying you'd be willing to do that? Would you expect compensation in return? 
I would expect that the board of St. Mark's, that understands the financials of St. Mark's and understands what the other company coming to the table is doing, is agreeing to take on the same level of responsibility that we are vacating. Okay. And as, in addition to that, you know, first, I, based off of the dialogue that we saw, um, and no one's having a direct conversation with us other than through an intermediary with an attorney, and we said, Sign us an NDA, non-disclosure agreement, so we can start exchanging information, and we want to explore what you have to bring to the table. Okay? No one has been willing to take us to that point, but if someone were to get us to the point where they want to go down that path and have those conversations, yes, we will be happy to engage in those. And at the end of the day, we are a vote on the St. Mark's board, and at the board of St. Mark's, and I've told the board of St. Mark's this for as long as I've worked with the board of St. Mark's. <coughs> If you have another option, a better option, back in 2019 when the hospital was facing closure, St. Mark's hired an outside organization to go say, hey, is there a better management company? Okay? We said, tell us what you find out. Again, our, our management fee is extremely low. The money that we're being paid for the services we're providing are not to inure to a margin of our benefit. They're there to help us sustain our organization, help other organizations. So if you've got a better option, Yes, sir. I will be happy to sit down and engage with them, but I want it to go through a process where people understand it. It's not anecdotal. It's not, hey, I even tried to go a little further when I didn't get the feedback from the attorneys that I got. I heard names of communities that these places were supposed to be in. I went and said, okay, who's running these? Okay, I know who's running that. I reached out through Torch because Torch has a relationship with that organization and said, hey, let them know I want to talk. Okay, that, was, that took place. I still haven't had another someone come to me no one's wanting to give me anything other than idle chatter. I need legal documents to say, look, we're going to get into an NDA. We're going to go out there and look at this. And again, if someone wants to come to the table and think that they can do a better job and the board believes they can do a better job and is will, my biggest caveat is HUD has to agree to all of this because they hold the biggest proportion of the debt. Okay. The next three speakers will be first Mr. Richard Chernowski, then Jeffrey Parker, and then William Bernson. So Mr. Chernowski, are you ready, sir? Judge I'd be happy to send you uh, Mr. Kylan's compensation in the IRS form 990. It's on the internet. And it's not the slight Mr. Kylan in any way. It's the consolidated financial statement that goes into the federal government. Judge? Fayette Savings, one of our local lenders, was the uh, Paycheck Protection Program lender with two installments, as Mr. Kimball had stated, a total of 3.8 million. So we were fortunate to have a local lender fund that, number one, and number two, to keep St. Mark's operating for as long as we could. That's all I've got, sir. Thank you, Mr. Chernowski. Uh, Mr. Jeffrey Parker. Thank you, Judge. Yes, sir. Jill, thank you for literally standing up in front of the county today. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, back when we had a bond election, I was <coughs> one of those on the no side. And as many have said, transparency was probably the biggest issue. Uh, I would say Closely behind that was a certain elitist arrogance of shut up and give us the money. Uh, and there were some other minor issues, but I think everybody agrees we would love to have the, the quality of hospital uh, that 
St. Mark's is going forward. And you do do a good job, and you are a blessing to the community. Um, so I'll say that I do blank there. Uh, anyway, okay, my question is this. I've heard several times now that uh, this is a widespread problem, national problem, 48% all that. I don't care about national so much, but Texas, one in 10 hospitals are in danger of closing. Do I have that right? Yes. And rural hospitals, one in four. Yes. But I want to kind of rephrase that. 75% or three out of four rural hospitals are not in danger of closing, right? Yes. Okay. Nine out of 10 hospitals in Texas are not in danger of closing, right? I would hope, and I'm assuming that y'all have studied this issue in great detail, and you can tell us why three out of four are not going to close. Nine out of 10 in the state, or one. So I'm talking in very large generalities, but I'd be happy to try to do some of that. One is many of these organizations and communities are tax supported. They, they get an annual tax supported dollar help. So you'll find a lot of them are getting that lift from a local tax base. That's one piece. Okay. Another piece is their geography, where they're located. Because payer mix is essential. If you live in a suburb that's considered rural of an Austin area, it may be an affluent area where everyone has insurance. Okay. If you're in a market where you're predominantly dealing with Medicaid, payer mix, predominantly dealing with Medicaid and Medicare, it's very hard to remain profitable. So there, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle, but some of the bigger ones are, are they supported in some fashion, okay? And if that, that's one piece. The other one is payer mix is also a huge component. And then also another big piece of it is the, just the fact that we have debt to serve. So some hospitals don't have debt. I've got other hospitals we run in Texas that aren't at risk of closure, okay? And uh, technically, I, I, I'm looking at the math, I was just thinking about how much debt service. The debt service of St. Mark's is about $1.9 million a year. And, and again, I, I'm not in the weeds, so I could be a little bit off, but it's roughly $1.9 million a year. Without that $1.9 million a year, again, we're telling you, we think in, under this designation, we can get to 600000 So it's not something you can't ultimately get to, but the bigger things are carrying a debt service, payer mix, and also having some tax. Okay, I thought I would hear that all of those three out of four are taxpayer supported. I'm sort of ready to hear that. Uh, and not can you quantify that though? Is, is that most of them are taxpayer funded? I would think I would think that a lot of the ones that are not in the You would think, but do you know? Do you know? Not without going to look today. Okay, that would be a good thing. There is, and as far as the all, oh, there's 149 hospitals in Texas that are tax supported. And that's out of how many? Roughly, I think, 300 hospitals. 149, 300, okay. roughly half. Okay. Yeah, and I do remember the thing I drew a blank on, the third issue for me anyway, was that the bond issue was asking for, if I remember correctly, about three times the amount of money that they needed <coughs> to keep the hospital running in the near term, which to me, look, Call me cynical, I don't know. Looks like a giant slush fund. And the tax dollars would expand into that rather quickly. So I'm just, just pointing that out. Uh, my second question is, 
if I remember correctly, um, oh, okay, and it started like 10 cents, but it was up to 25, was already approved if we voted for that bond. That's what it looks like if you're not slush bond. I've heard the number that exclusive of debt, debt service, you would be 600K in black. Is that as a rural uh, hospital or rural emergency hospital, or was that prior to? Now that is under our current projections under a rural emergency hospital. Yeah. Absolutely. Once we get through this process, we believe we can be at a sustainable $600,000. And again, the $600,000 is also with us not having a managed condition. Again, we'll continue to do that as long as it's what's keeping the doors open. But right now, those are the components that are getting us there under the rule of emergency. Okay, what about uh, before the, well, let's look at it this way. What about before COVID, before this emergency, were you in the black exclusive of debt service? Or did you have an operational funding problem even then? We were in a path of continuing to reduce our operating cash. We were seeing it go negative, as far as not, neg not negative, we were seeing it reduce regularly and saw the runway of that would run out. That's when the board voted to try to move forward with selling the hospital to the Austin-based facility. And so that was the process. And then when that organization decided to change their mind, then the board said, let's go engage an outside company to try to find anyone out there that would be willing to come in and buy. So that's when they did that. And we were continuing to erode our cash position, which gave us the reason to go out and say, hey, and one of the words that bothers me that was used is I heard the word that it was threatened. And there's nothing about this as the threat as intimidate. It's just the math. If, if we're every month eating away at our cash and we see it eroding to the point where it's not going to be sustainable, telling people that if we don't do something, it's going to close is not us saying, we're going to threaten to close your hospital. That's, just, that's not where we're at. Did you get an answer to I was trying to get you an answer, but I'll, I'll, again, anybody that wants to send us questions through Mark, I will do my best to try to get everyone an answer. Any question you ask, I will try to give you an answer. Okay? And if the commissioners or the judge would like to be copied on those, I'd be happy to copy them. I want to try to fix this misperception of our willingness to be transparent because my willingness to be transparent is complete. Okay? I will be happy to share and happy to, again, send me an email or send, send Mark an email to report back to the local. So, coordinate to Mark, send a question, and I'll try to get you an answer. But as an example, I don't think, and again, it's hard to speak to things if you don't know the numbers off the top of your head, but I don't think that the tax base was that large of a dollar that you would come to large. But it was, I thought it was less than a million dollars a year. Okay. Uh, back to the question about operational profitability. I think you could probably in some way sell to the county. This is just me. I'm not in government. I, I may be totally wrong. You could probably sell help with the mortgage, especially if there was something in the county. But if what you're saying is we want to hook in you with the hospital district so that now the county is responsible for ongoing operational deficits, that's a much tougher sell for me any help would be greatly appreciated the more it tied it only to the mortgage if you never want a dollar to flow through chc or st mark's hands and it only goes to someone servicing mortgage great it, I, we, we embrace creative ideas to try to help sustain as much health care for community as possible yeah but another side of that that the commissioner pointed out is if you can't remain solvent yeah. and you close then everything you put in 
And again, uh, we'll be happy to share with commissioners our plan and why we think it has a profitable path that still has to address the debt service. Thank you. Thank you for the forum. Thank you, Mr. Jeffrey. Excuse me, but I object. You said you'd take any questions. Here's, here's the question that I gave the uh, commissioners. Thank you. The next speakers will be William Burnson, EMS coordinator Josh Vandiver, Andy Balin, Ken Durnell, Gene Krupa, Mary Gunn, Stephen Kelly, Dr. Dan White, Eugene Niemeyer, and Ron Briggs. So Mr. Burnson, if you're ready, we're ready for you. Yes, sir. William Burnson, one more time to agree. I want to thank, first, all the questions. I want to thank y'all for bringing it up and having us on the agenda for all these funny questions. I think it's very intelligent. I want to thank y'all for coming and sharing with us. Uh, it's been very informative. I really appreciate it. My question is about growth. You know, we are a rural community. We have, I think, under 5,000 in the range, 125,000 in the county. What effect would an increase in growth in the population of this county have on your hospital? I mean, if, if the grant increased by 1,000 citizens and the county grew by 6,000 or so, uh, would that have the effect of making your profit, your, your hospital more sustainable? Or does it just increase the problems you already have at home with large trade? So the volume growth of people moving into the county doesn't have enough lift to fix the problems. But when you look at the business of the care that's being provided, we can see data that shows these people are getting services outside the community. These, these zip codes are being cared for in other zip codes, Austin, other markets, other larger markets. And so we know that there's business that St. Mark's is capable of providing and has great quality support. St. Mark's is a great hospital. Staff do a great job. So we see services that we know are available to be done at St. Mark's that are leading the community. So our targeted growth is trying to capture that business that could be done here. Again, I don't think based off the population there's enough growth to say, hey, we're going to fix this problem by growing our population out of the people coming. It's capturing people when you have, say you're going to have to have a procedure done in Austin, but you can still have your labs done here. You can have your imaging done here. Those types of things, when you, when you need care, you go to the emergency room here. Those things are essential to the support and sustainability of the hospital. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you Mr. William Burnson. Next up is EMS Coordinator Josh Vandenberg. Uh, first, I'd like to thank you, Mr. Kendrick, for coming and, and facing all these questions. Uh, I would just like to say, for the record, uh, I don't have an opinion as to the good or bad nature of your company. I do not. Um, however, my phone has been ringing literally off the hook, as I'm sure you guys have been dealing with as well, for the last several weeks. And a consistent theme that I hear is a, a concern about whether or not people can trust the HC. I don't know if that is based in fact. I don't know if that is based in feeling. Um, I have an opinion that it is probably the latter. My question, and what I'd also like to say is I consider Mark Kimball a friend. I greatly respect Jason McBroom and Michael Corker, who sell on the board of directors. I've had conversations with both of them, as well as Rodney Marziowski. And they all share the sentiment that they believe CHC has the best interest in mind and has offered, they've also said that you have offered to walk away at any point if it's at the benefit of the hospital. My question for the chairman of the board, 
um, would be, um, have you guys explored, based on your conversations with the community, have you guys explored the possibility that there is no path forward in which the community is going to offer tax support to this hospital if they rightfully or wrongfully do not trust the management company, company manager? That would be my first question. Um, my, sec my second is a statement. My statement is Mr. Kendrick is not lying about Medicare. EMS cost has gone up roughly 35% as well. Our billing is healthy. We're a 50 to 60% payer mixed Medicare here, so we do collect on a lot of our bills. That being said, the EMS operates in the red, and thank God the commissioners and the community support having the EMS service. Factually, I will put my hand on Holy Bible and say, I've had multiple members of this community tell me, if I have to spend a million dollars of tax money on keeping this hospital afloat or on EMS, I would rather do EMS because I can fire the, I, the judge and commissioner will fire you if you don't meet what I expect, and if they don't, I'll fire them. They don't seem to have that faith in the management from either the board or from CHC or whatever's there. So my question to Mr. Pylon is, has that been discussed and has that been considered? And if so, why has it not been pursued? And that's completely up to you, to the level you wish to answer that, and to you guys, again, and to the community, because I think this is important to say, I don't know that you guys are the bad guys here, and that's not even my, that's not even my uh, suspicion, but you know, there's been talk about lack of transparency, and there's been transparency used as a buzzword in your comments multiple times, that's not meant to be offensive. There's been transparency mentioned, but in the one conversation about another hospital coming in and saying this, the first word that came out of your mouth was an NDA. And an NDA is the opposite of transparency. An NDA is a legal agreement between attorneys that says you cannot be transparent. So that's what I offer. And again, thank you guys for being here, and I hope you guys will come back if, if invited after <laughs> bruising blood and everything. I hope you guys will come out to continue this conversation. Can, can you rephrase the first question so I make sure that I answer what you're looking for? Okay. Um, the, the question is, it seems as if there's a lack of community faith in CHC's leadership. I, that may be able to be rectified, it may not. I've heard comments from members of your board that they've made suggestions that we know this hospital is not financially healthy. We need to have these forums with leaders of the community. You know, hell, find the people that were most vocal in opposition to this tax the first time, get them all in a room, and let's duke it out. Um, and, I, and I feel like that has not happened. My question to you, though, is, if, if it's pretty apparent that the community doesn't trust CHC, have you guys at least explored going a different direction with the management of the hospital? After the uh, hospital district election failed, we went out and hired a consultant to look at the place in CHC. They came back and reported that there was no option that was better than CHC. So at that time, I think that was around 2020, we continued with CHC. If there is a company out there that is willing to come in and manage this hospital and take over the debt, I would tell you, and I can't speak to the board, I'm one voice on the board, I would tell you that 
the interest of the board is to serve this community. And if that's what it takes to serve the community, I would bet that the, the board would vote to employ whatever that option is. We do not know any viable option at this time. If somebody brings us a viable option, we'll certainly work with that. I would ask that you guys as the board of directors and Mr. Hendricks, Mr. Kimball, and maybe some members of the community, uh, I would ask that you guys as a board have that conversation. And I would also say the community can't necessarily, and, and really it's not really their responsibility to bring you the options. And the consultant and everything, in my opinion, in my, in my experience, a consultant is going to study facts, not feeling. You know, and, and I think there may be a large part of this, I thought Luke was coming back again. Uh, there, there may be a large part of this that is centered around feeling, and whether or not that can be fixed, I don't know, but I think there needs to be an attempt made to increase public perception of the management. So I want to make a quick comment on what you said too. So nine out of 12 of the board members that govern and control St. Mark's are people from your community. They live and leave in Bay County. And I believe, and I, get back, I can't speak for them, but I believe those people who know the facts and know the details and are looking at the minute detail, financial detail, we're paying this this month because it's aging and they're getting into the weeds. Those people do not have those negative impressions of my company. People anecdotally who hear things like, oh, if you give money to St. Mark's, it's going to plan It's not, that's not true. Hear things like, oh, if it was better managed, okay, I promise you, we've been doing this for 27 years. We are a pretty good company that do, does this. We know what we're doing, okay? So if someone wants to come say, hey, we can come fix your problem. I told the board this when we went down this path. I said, you're going to start hearing people say, we can do it better, okay? Well, the big piece that they're leaving out of the equation is the debt, okay? I will also offer you, I completely agree with your opinion that at least the majority of the board does not feel like you're the bad guys. That has been my experience in every conversation with those members with four of those members. Um, I'm merely offering the fact that those are nine votes and a $20,000 tax issue. We need to do a better job of communicating. Yes, sir. And open transparency. And you, I'll come back and get beat up again if it helps. We'll, we'll get you some gloves next time. <laughs> uh, just to follow up, Mr. Kendrick, what Mr. Pilot said, if the board, the St. Mark's board, were to say, CHC, thank you, please be on your way, CHC want compensation? CHC is right now on paper owed of over a one and a half million dollars. And even in that model, we forgive money that's owed to us every month above and beyond. Um, I can tell you, I can't speak for that large of a number without taking it to my board. But again, our board and my, my hospital company was formed to help your, your communities just like yours. So would I be willing to take it to them and say, hey, St. Mark's has a new path. The St. Mark's board wants to pursue that path, and it'll entail us walking away from $1 million. I will ask my board to consider that option, and I would suspect there is a more than likely chance that the answer would be yes, that they will. Are we contractually? If we said tomorrow we found somebody else, do we have to give you a year notice, 30-day notice, or we can just say, we found somebody? So, uh, it kind of goes back into what's contractually obligated and what's been communicated. Um, I think we have a current management contract that still runs for another year and a half or so. But again, I've said to the board, and I'll say in front of this group, 
if you have somebody that the board says this is going to be a better fit for us, it's going to be better to meet our needs, that's why we exist. That goes back to my mission. I will let you out of a management contract. Yes, contractually, you have a longer term. But if someone says, hey, we're going to save St. Mark, we're going to keep better health care services in this community, we will say we'll let the contract end early. As far as to the $1.5 million, I'll have to take that to my board, but I'm giving you my thoughts on that. I was told it was a four-year contract. Is that not true? It was four years when it was originally signed, for the, and I think that was a couple years ago. Okay. So it's, all right. so it's not four years anymore? It's not, it, from this point forward, it's not four years now. Okay. But again, if it's two months, if you have a viable option that that board wants to vote in, I, I, we're not going to say you owe. I mean, we're not... Yeah. We're not trying. We didn't try to get over the entire pandemic when all these dollars were coming in. No one ever, CHC never said, "Hey, can we get back our 1.5 million you owe us?" We said, "Use it on the things that are helping the hospital and the employees and meet the COVID needs." Our our deficit hasn't grown, but it also hasn't decreased in years. Probably would have been a good time to ask for something. <laughs> our next uh, people with questions or comments will be Andy Balin, Ken Darnell, Gene Krupa. Mary Gunn, Stephen Kelly, Dr. Daniel White, Eugene Niemeyer, and Ron Briggs. So we'll start with Mr. Bailey. Uh, Mary Gunn, I think I read this paper. Uh, just, uh, just one question along the lines of transparency. Can y'all talk about- Mr. Bailey, would you do me a favor and walk forward just a little bit so that people can hear you a little bit more? There sure. You go. Uh, just, uh, just, just wanted to ask, uh, what, are, what are some other ways that CHC makes uh, makes revenue or makes money off the St. Mark's besides the management fee? Are there other ways? Like, I, I uh, remember back when we had the uh, tax district discussion, I thought there was a uh, uh, like a procurement deal with the hospital where y'all y'all procure supplies for the hospital. Um, can you talk about that or other ways in which which CHC uh, makes revenue off the St. Mark's? Sure. So um, what you're talking about is a GPO, a group purchasing organization, and some of the nation's largest group purchasing organizations um, are large systems, they're large organizations, and those large organizations typically only work with large organizations. So um, as an example, we are what's called a channel partner with a company, the GPO called Health Trust, and Health Trust doesn't sign up small rural hospitals. So as a channel partner, what we do is we go out and say, hey, I'm going to sign you up through Health Trust, through us as a GPO partner. And in that space where I talked about earlier, we have 130-something hospitals right now that access their purchasing through us. Part of our message, part of our, part of our deliverable to the community is we will guarantee a hospital a 10% savings on their supply schedule. So if a hospital is paying $2 million for their supplies annually, our company is willing to engage them with a contract that will guarantee them a 10% savings off of that number. The reason we guarantee that is we know we save more than that, okay? So when we go into a hospital and sign them up on our GPO, we're saving them more than they're currently paying. And in that part of managing the 130 hospitals that are part of that group, so instead of trying to buy as a single hospital, and you have the leverage of that single hospital, you now have the 130 hospitals. And our company right now is close to a billion dollars in annual supply spend. So we're buying at that billion dollar level, opposed to the $15 million level of a small local facility. Okay. But in that aggregation, we do get paid from the 
distributors that are part of that that make a profit to us. Um, and if I were to guess, that number is probably 60 to 80, and this is a guess, again, I'm not trying to not be transparent, uh, I'll, I'll be happy to share it. That number is probably 60 to $80,000 annually. But again, that number is vastly outshadowed by the guaranteed 10% that would cause the reduction in expense to go down. Sure. Uh, are, there other, are there other other ways to generate revenue off of St. Mark's uh, size management fee procurement? Are there other ways? So they fit into that same same criteria of where we can aggregate spend and cause the spend to go down. So and these are just examples, and again, I'll be happy to try to help you with more if you want. But so hospitals have to have a email system. Okay, so they may be buying it from Microsoft, or they may be buying it from Google. Well, if the small rural facilities cost, and I'm making up numbers, if the small rural facilities cost is $10,000, okay, but we as a larger company can go aggregate that and say, hey, you know what? We, you're paying $10,000 for this service, and that's the best that we can get. But because I can go group all of these over here together, I may be able to get it for $8,000. In that example, we may charge $9,000, okay? They save money off of what they would be spending. We make a little bit of money, but our margins on those type of things are usually in like the 6% category. That's our markup. And the 6% comes in the fact also that when we guarantee this larger buy, if we lose an organization, if an organization decides not to stay with us, or an organization closes or goes away, we're still obligated to that. So that, that's why there's a little bit of margin built into that. But those, those are the type of things. And the idea of a company like CHC is to try to bring you the leverage of a large company without all of the cost and overhead of a large company. Right, but uh, so by raising the management fee, uh, I mean, y'all still have these other sources of income from the hospital, and it sounds like they're, I mean, would you describe them as lucrative, profitable? I would tell you that the largest portion of the compensation that comes to CHC from St. Mark's is first, pass-through cost of the employees that we're paying for. We're not marking that up at all. It's, so it's the positions that are on our payroll that are only working at St. Mark's, and that's the largest category. The next largest category is the management fee, which we're waiving, and the other things are pieces that add up to additional value. Again, trying to give you a full scope. Okay, the next speaker is Mr. Ken Darnell. Mr. Darnell, if you'd be kind enough to just come forward about 10 feet, please. The uh, taxpayers, I believe, have spoken on that issue. And, I mean, I hope we don't go there again. I mean, they're taxed out. They don't have the money. And uh, I believe if we had a vote again, it would probably fail by bigger than 82% mark. So I got a couple of questions for a gentleman. Is there anybody uh, on the board, not necessarily the CHC, but the local hospital or part of the foundation that's just raising three million dollars for one time payment. You're not. I believe, I believe the foundation is interested in trying to address the mortgage issue. Uh, you wrote the point at foundation, and I don't know if you're allowed to speak, but uh, yeah. You talked about Mr. Corker. Yeah, yes. please stand up. Uh, I think the question it was about the foundation. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Whoever is, is there any discussion amongst anybody about raising some private money? Yes, my name is Michael Fulker. I serve as president of the foundation as of And we are in the process of looking at a capital campaign to help pay out debt, buy new equipment, those type of things. We're trying to get through the uh, 
spoke uh, during the taxing district, and I think it's probably a little premature to go out and ask for specific funds, transitional or otherwise, until we have a clear But it is in discussion. And has there been any discussions with Fletcher? So there, there's an attorney that I met. Fletcher, Fletcher Brown is a law firm. Okay. That is the, the law firm that reached out to us and said, hey, we might have a local entity, not-for-profit entity. We might have someone. That's, that, that's <coughs> like the extent of the conversation that might be interested. Okay. And that's where we said, hey, let's talk about this and understand what you're trying to do. Um, and okay. yeah. That's all I got. Thanks. Thank you, uh, Mr. Gene Krupa. Uh, two, two questions, basically. Uh, adding to Judge Nesson and Andy Balin's question, uh, what amount of money was paid to the CHC affiliates during the same period of time, if there are any? Help me understand what you're saying when you say CHC affiliate. Anybody that would be underneath the CHC umbrella? There's no, there's no money going to other entities in some hidden fashion. No. The last question there is there's two boards present today, and you keep referring to board. You know, the CHC board and the St. Mark's board. And I understand that the CHC has a controlling vote on the St. Mark's board. That's not accurate. The CHC has one vote on a 12-member voting board. Um, so when CHC came in, and again, as part of trying to make sure people understand this, when CHC came in, the audited financials that were right preceding us coming in, the hospital had 11 days cash on hand. It was in a critical state then. Okay, it, it's been in a critical state. We continue to find ways to keep the hospital open and viable and providing service. Okay, when I'm speaking to the board, I'm speaking to the St. Mark's board because the St. Mark's board governs all these decisions. We don't make these decisions. We, we give input, we give data, we give information, but at the end of the day, we are one vote on that board. We do because of, back when I talked about when we first came in, one of the biggest problems the St. Mark's had, it had a self-insured insurance plan that was killing the hospital. It was one of the big financial drains. Okay, we, they wanted to put the employees on our benefit plan, so that makes um, it an affiliate hospital. So that's sometimes I hear that word, it's affiliate. So CHC, St. Mark's is an affiliate hospital, but that's the vehicle by which we're able to provide benefits. The St. Mark's employees have the exact same benefit plan that I do. They pay the same benefit cost that I do. There's no, that, it's the exact same structure. So if you hear affiliate in any space in this, it would only really be talking about the fact that it is a affiliate of CHC because that allows us to have the vehicle to have the employees on our insurance plan, same insurance plan I'm on, and also it was, it was something that was crippling the hospital from the total expense. Did I answer all your questions? Yes, thanks. Thank you, Mr. Krupa. The next speakers will be Mary Gunn, Stephen Kelly, Dr. White, Eugene Niemeyer, Ron Briggs. Mary Gunn. Thank you. Um, I'm Mary Gunn.
situation for the community because we've lost the ability to treat patients here in our community. Um, and so, you know, having a great hospital is like having a great school. And so, you know, we're really, really proud of our school. And so when we're trying to have people living in this community and having our children be educated and trying to recruit people, and then we don't have a great hospital, I mean, it's just such a huge detriment. So I think I just have some questions in looking at, you know, all of this that's going on. And I guess for you, Mr. Kendrick, I was just wondering, and I'm glad to see you and meet you today, but I'm just wondering, how often have you visited St. Mark's Medical Center? I've been in my role at CHC for six years, okay. next month. I've probably been to the St. Mark's Hospital ten times. How often have you ever met Dr. White, my father? So my role is I run a national company. Um, right. So there is a gentleman in my company that's responsible for St. Mark's. He's actually Craig Sims from the end here. Okay. And Craig is here every month. Um, okay. okay. But have you ever met him? I have not, but I, okay. again, I, there would not be a path where I would normally do that because when I come to town, I'm usually meeting with the board. Okay. Um, I'm not in that level of operation. I just wonder, just based upon looking at just the way the hospital has run, you know, I was part of a meeting just a couple months ago. I'm just looking at the structure of all of this, and I met with Mr. Kimball, and it was right before the close of the year when a new general surgeon was being recruited for, and my dad's not employed the hospital, never has been, um, and has completely supported St. Mark's, been memorial before that, um, and I have no doubt at all So, so are you exactly correct that we have issues with reimbursement, issues with Medicare, we do have an aging community, so we have a lot more Medicare um, and issues with reimbursement. I mean, we, that, that's an issue. That's, that's an issue across the country. Um, but with regard to, you know, we were just recruiting, from Mr. Kimball's perspective, hundreds of thousands of dollars for a new general surgeon to be coming into this community, um, and then all of a sudden, a couple months later, we're closing the hospital. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, so, so some of these questions, I just have to wonder. You know, we're just putting in brand new televisions into all of the rooms at St. Mark's Medical Center, and then all of a sudden we're closing the hospital. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, so, all of a sudden we have all of these brand new, I and mean, we have beautiful rooms at the hospital. And all of a sudden, I'm walking through just in December, looking at you know visiting a patient. And I see these rooms that are no longer being used for hospital rooms to care for patients because we've had to downsize certain rooms. And then I'm wondering, based upon REH models and qualifications, how many rooms we needed to have in order to qualify for that. So I'm wondering, was that already put into place because we knew that this model was coming? And so I just have to wonder in transparency, and I just believe that with regard to CHC, I mean, that's all a, that's all a question. And you know, we have, all sorts of money that has come in, and I agree that there's going to be an issue with funding, always for the reimbursement. But when we're looking at what we're able to provide to the community in terms of patient care, that's all we really care about. We, just, we care about patient care. So when we have patients that are coming to our hospital and we have ER doctors that are not part of the community, but they don't even know what the services we provide, and those patients don't have any idea that we can do surgeries here at our hospital, so they're just being shuttled out to Austin and Houston, and that's all being managed by CHC in terms of who's in our ER practicing. That's all coming from CHC. And so I just, 
you know, those are huge, huge, huge concerns that number one, whatever reimbursements we're supposed to be capturing, are they even being captured properly? I know that I use the hospital, I have both my children in this hospital, you know, we're no longer able to have, you know, babies in our hospital, and that's a whole other situation, that's a problem in terms of reimbursement, we all know that. But, you know, when I go to the hospital and then I get a bill 10 months later, that's a problem. Because, my goodness, if you want your money, and people need to be getting their money, the hospital needs to be getting paid its money, then you would think the bill should be coming quickly so that you get your money. So that seems to be a problem with management, because where in the world are, you know, why is the bill not going out so that you can be collecting your money? So that's an issue because I have good insurance. So I'd love to pay you, and then when I do so, and then I'm being questioned on why haven't I paid my bill, well, how do my bill? But someone in the management area is not seeing that, and I don't know if it's being collected properly, so that's a problem. I mean, there's so much going on that's deeper than just, um, you know, just reimbursement for Medicare and Medicaid. So we have issues with our own, you know, people don't even know what services we're providing from our own general surgeons. Uh, we have patients who aren't utilizing our hospital anymore because we have lots of issues going on in the ER which is the one area that's been salvaged. I mean, there's just, I mean, I know I'm making more statements and questions to you, but all around, this is a great community, a top-notch community. The judge said it's the best county in the state. I totally agree with that. And now we've lost our hospital. But the concern I have is our hospital is completely being cleared out. Like right now, as my dad is closing up, you know, trying to get all its charts out, computers are being ripped out, phones are being taken out. I would do anything to put them being sold. Why? So, there's so many statements in that. I don't know. I know, there's so many. I mean, I'm just, I'm giving you more of a statement. I don't completely, I don't trust the HC. I really don't. Well, all I can tell you is that we only exist to help. And if in, in that message where you have anecdotal information that you hear and your pieces, I would. I'm not hearing pieces. I have somebody who's in the community. Okay. I have somebody who's actually in the hospital. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to talk about the detailed operational level of the hospital. I would talk to one of the board members. And if that doesn't work for you, then um, you know one of your commissioners is on our board. If, if that doesn't work for you, then reach out to Mark and, you know, again, I got the list of questions from this gentleman. I'd like to try to answer them, but again, it's hard to answer in a vacuum. You know, did we know that rural emergency hospital was going to be an option? Literally, we had a retreat with the board on 14th, yes. on January the 14th. Okay, January the 13th, the state of Texas approved emergency orders for rural emergency hospital. Up until that point, they had said. The federal government has adopted this, but from a state level, it's probably going to take us 12 months at least. Okay? They came out um, on the 13th and said they're going to do emergency orders to allow the hospital to do that. So the answer to your question is we were very concerned about the sustainability period, and then we saw a path where we had a potential path to continue to provide as much service as possible. Not ideally. We want to have surgery. We want to have general surgery practice. We want all those things. And this vehicle still gives us the ability to go back to that. It's not a permanent jump to a new model that can't be there ever again. And I believe they will sell some things in the hospital that pertain to the inpatient side of care. 
because they need that cash. Again, we need more cash than we currently have a runway for. So we're having to find a way. We have money from the foundation. We have money that's being offset by us. But we're going to need additional funds. We're trying to figure out how to do that. That may come in selling equipment at some point. What salary is being cut? Well, we cut so over. Not, 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 not wonderful employees that have been here for 30 years that all of a sudden got three days notice that they were being discharged. What higher upper level management that we don't even have the answer for in terms of how much they make? Mr. Kimball, has your salary been cut? It has not. Okay. Long term, I will not be here. I am committed to transition this hospital to this model, but long term, that's not my skill set. There will be a different skill set. So trying to answer your follow-up question is, there is more administrative overhead with a rural full hospital than a rural nursing hospital. And as we get through that transition, we will right side But right now, we need all those people mm -hmm. that are there, that are in these higher level positions because they have a history and they have knowledge. But as Mark has said, and eventually he realizes we will be transitioning out. That doesn't mean another CEO is going to come in. That would be expense reduction in that category. But we're trying to right size our expenses to be in line with our revenue. Mr. Kendrick, in regard to Ms. Gunn's question about the equipment being sold, I think that was asked first by Commissioner Birkenhoff, and Mr. Kimball addressed it and said that's not true. I'll ask you, sir, is has equipment been being sold since y'all have made this announcement from the hospital? So I would have only the knowledge that Mark has. He's the man in the building understand what's going on. I'm just saying as we move forward, for services that we're no longer providing, yes, I think we should sell some things that we can get additional cash from. But whatever Mark says is what, what is actually happening in the facility. I do not know. So Mr. Kimball has equipment hey, in the last week been sold from the hospital, Mr. Kimball? What the board has asked us to do is bring them a list of our inventories. We need to place a value on it. We need to understand if some equipment can be sold, is it needed to be sold, or instruments and things. Uh, of, of that. We've been approached about selling some equipment, et cetera. So we're still evaluating what those needs are. The board will ultimately have to approve this. Ms. Gunn, do you have anything else? So with regard to evaluate and bring them forth to the board. Uh, there were some instruments that was it Columbus? Uh, yes, Columbus Hospital. Wanted to, to purchase and it was $27,000. I think that is either finalized or very close to being finalized. So just to let you know. Okay, thank you. So, so you know, my father, who is trying to salvage surgeries in terms of being able to continue to operate on Patients, local patients, trying to find a place to operate so we can keep local patients from having to go to Austin, go to Houston, has asked to purchase equipment. He has yet to receive any kind of response. I mean, the courteous thing to do for someone here who's been operating here for 44 years would be to have some sort of courteous response to, before selling the Columbus Hospital, before doing anything else, be some sort of courteous response to a doctor who's been working here for 44 years tirelessly. So, has there been any response to him? I have, uh, yes, I have spoken to Dr. White. There's some instruments 
that he has an interest in, and I talked to Dr. White that the board was going to be making an evaluation, and I would keep him updated about that. So, but there's already been a decision made to Columbus Hospital? Apparently so. I don't know if that's part of the equipment that Dr. White was even seeking. No, it's a small bone set uh, that just recently. But we're going to make decisions on that. Thank you, Ms. Gunn. Next speakers will be Stephen Kelly, Dr. White, Eugene Niemeyer, and Ron Briggs. Mr. Kelly, please. Judge, Richard Court, I'm here for agenda item number 13, and clearly I came on the wrong day. <laughs>
A not-for-profit organization is not owned by anyone. It, it, there's no legal entity that owns a not-for-profit. A not-for-profit is self-perpetuated and governed by a local board. So the direction of the organization is guided by the local board. But a not-for-profit is not owned by anyone. So let's, so, change, well, it. let's, change, let's change the word own to control. Mr. Niemeyer's question was yes. who's, who controls it? The local board. The local board. Yes. So the money we gave to build it, and we raised money to build it, and it was overbuilt. And nobody owns it, except the board controls it. Yes. Who elects the board? The board is self-perpetuating, so board members go off and, and, and elect somebody to take their place. Yes, sir. So no general public has anything to do with the board. I, I disagree with the statement, but I understand what you're saying. But no, I, I think the general public is who makes up the board. I mean, you have a county commissioner, you have four, four doctors that practice in the community. Yes, but how did the county commissioner get elected to the board? The, I believe he was asked to participate and chose. He was to asked by somebody else. Yeah, on board. I think it's hard to understand that, but uh, the deal is, and I, that's how all not-for-profit boards function. They they vote on their. I understand that. Okay. What I don't uh, one thing I don't understand is, I had a gentleman said, well, we had a tax bill come up and it was failed by a big margin. Our taxpayer, I'll never miss anything. I wasn't understanding what the. Voting was even for when it was done because I'm, I've got a thousand customers this month and I went to Farm Bureau and we got 3,000 families, which is 6,000 members in Fifth County alone. We're very strong. I'm not here to represent the Farm Bureau, but I'm here to give Farm Bureau messages. And, uh, and, and the people I talked to said there's no way we either have a hospital fully or we don't have a hospital period that's the deal and i've talked to a lot of people because i got a, a good friend and he's at the end you know with the empty emergency and uh now they take them to the emergency room they stabilize them they got to take them somewhere else because they can't move them there There's, you know and that's not right and uh, I wonder anybody here, we need a full hospital. And I think we should bring it up and tax again and explain to the people what they're getting if they don't vote for it or if they vote for it. So that's all I got to say. Thank you, Mr. Niemeyer. With final, what, what he was saying about the patients coming to the facility and being stabilized and then being shipped to another uh, hospital facility to have their treatments or surgery or whatever they need. Isn't the majority of insurance that you have now, don't they only cover the first ambulance ride and not the second one? So the, the answer to that level of detail would probably depend on the plan. But at Medicare, anybody have the answer off the top? Well, I'll, get, I'll try to get you an answer. But you're in that scenario, Again, it goes back to we're facing with the lesser of the evils. And it is, hey, I gotta transport this person 45 more minutes before we get them stabilized, or can we get them stabilized because they need that, and the EMS are excellent at that job. They say, okay, this person can go ahead and go 45 minutes, but this person needs immediate stabilization. Get them to a physician. So in that case, it's not gonna matter. No, I understand it like the dire emergency ones, but yes. you know, there's a lot of times that EMS gets called to where it's not, you know, it's 
it's not life or death right away, but they still need treatment from the hospital or, or broken bone or vice versa or whatever, to where if these uh, county residents know that this is the way their insurance is going to pay, to where they're paying for the first ambulance rather than the second one, well then what's the purpose to go into St. Mark's? If you know for sure you're not going to get this treatment there, you're going to be transferred out. They would be asked to be transferred to Columbus or, or whoever, Smithville, whoever could whoever could do these services. So I'm not wouldn't, that, wouldn't that knock down on your on your patient volume also? So I'm not I'm not clinical, so I'm, I'm probably for EMS EMS here. But I mean, you you want a you want a clinician making that decision or an EMS person making the first level decision. Um, I but I don't know if I'm able to redirect or not. But I think you could probably answer a better question also. Commissioner Grossman, and uh, I'll also, if she, if she wants to also defer a little bit of this to Dr. Borset, she had a lot of experience as our department's medical director, um, and she's a current practicing ER physician in our facility. Um, what I would say to your comment, so I was informed this week by actually uh, Ms. Hartfield from St. Mark's and Dr. Kim, Mr. Kimball, we had a meeting, and uh, my opinion was always that if we, like, if the process is we know someone's going to be sent to Austin, but we take them to St. Mark's first. My opinion was always that, uh, you know, they're going to get an ambulance bill from us, they're going to get an ER bill from St. Mark's, they're going to get another ambulance bill from us, and they're going to get another ER bill when they get to the receiving hospital. Um, they, their opinion to me, and, and I have not gotten answers back from who we talked to about this kind of stuff, but their opinion was that is not the case, that insurance will only approve one ER bill in a day. I don't know if that means that bill gets passed on to the patient once it's denied or if it's just forgiven. Um, our clinical standpoint at Fayette County EMS, um, you know, the, the first priority in our transport decision is always going to be what the patient wants. Um, there are certain times where what the patient wants would undermine the health and safety of the other, you know, 19,999, whatever that number is, county residents, um, be it for out of ambulances or whatever the case may be, ice storm, stuff like that. Um, and in those cases, it's not productive for us, at least in my operational opinion, it's not productive for us to stop at St. Mark's with someone that we know is gonna go to Austin if we can get there, get them there the first time, you know, a lot. There are certainly cases where it would be more prudent to take them so that someone like Dr. Borsett, who, you know, went to college for 50 years to, to learn how to be a doctor, can, can then stabilize them and then call us back. Um, because no one would make the argument that you are better off in an ambulance than you are in Dr. Borsett's hands. That being said, that's a little bit of hyperbole because sometimes Dr. Borsett may argue that, no, you are better off in that ambulance because when you stop at this ER, there are certain things I'm just not going to be able to do for this person. Um, so essentially, they're going to die here or they're going to die on the way to the place they have a chance. Um, those are all clinical issues. Those are all high-level stuff that have to be you know, determined on a little bit of information in a very short amount of time, but um, that's certainly the effect that I've discussed with the commissioners for what this impact may have on our budget. Sorry. No, I appreciate you. Okay, uh, the next comment or questions will come from Mr. Ron Briggs. Thank you, uh, What I've heard today, I, I don't have any questions, but what I've heard today is uh, well, for the most part, one salad. Uh, I'm not even sure all of it was not dis disingenuous. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak. Uh, my name is Ron Briggs, and I am a resident of Faith County. I've got some ideas and thoughts here, so if you don't mind, I'm going to read both of this. In the past, I've had the occasion to need the 
Kenton of Exceptional Skills available in the emergency room and with Dr. Pike. Uh, I've come to the I'm living proof that this is a fine first rate facility that we have in this county. This morning I'd like to speak about the closing of the major portion of St. Mark's Medical Center. I admit that I am not at all privy of how to operate hospital. I know zero about that. It's just not my wheelhouse. Uh, the thoughts I have this morning are mine and mine alone. I don't have a crystal ball at all. The CEO, with my judgment, my opinion, the CEO of St. Mark's, the hospital board, which is the Community Hospital Corporation, seem to have to be an entity within themselves. They have no accountability. They don't report to anybody. Uh, they certainly are not transparent. That's a common theme that I'm hearing today. They're not transparent regarding how and why decisions are made, how funds are spent, or things like that. Perhaps I've missed it, but I don't recall ever seeing any budgeting or spending data reported in local newspapers. Closing, this closing is an important part of the hospital. It came as a shock to the people in this community. That should not have been a shock to the community. It should not have been. We should have had some warnings in there. No. Sharing information, particularly financial information in public, is absolutely necessary. The CEO of SMMC and the chairman of the board of SMMC and CAT have, in my judgment, failed the citizens of the county by not keeping the citizens informed all along the way. Guys, this should not have been a surprise. I'm also of the opinion that our county judge and commissioners should have been up in arms at the moment they heard this going on. Met with us in Management began to really grapple with consequences and what options we have, right? So in retrospect, it seems to me that one of the first actions that need to be taken is to perhaps begin the road to restoring and reopening the hospital. Uh, it's intentionally hard at the very least reworking the contract that we have, the candidate hospital has we CHC. Again, this is just my judgment. If any of my statements, by the way, are misguided, uh, misinformation, uh, true, then it is my hope that someone will inform me of my errors and problems. Over 60 hospital staff laid off. And these were our friends and our neighbors. Uh, the public is not being kept up to date on any actions being taken as a result of the closing. I'm not suggesting that we need daily updates, but at least, at the very least, frequent updates would be good. I suggest that SMMC and or the county judge do something to regularly inform the public as to any actions being taken to work through all this. And as of today, I am shocked that our commissioners know more about than, than just roads and bridges. I'm impressed with that. Thank you, Mr. Briggs. Uh, Mr. Kendrick, does anything you want to respond to Mr. Briggs' comments? I echo Moore's comments. Uh, I can tell you that I believe the reason we're here having these conversations is that we are aligned. We want you to have as many healthcare services in your community as you can have. 
and we're simply trying to manage the revenue that comes in and the expenses that are required to take care of them. And during COVID, they went up over 30%. Okay, so a lot of these things are very short window because in that period of COVID, expenses went up 30%. That's what's caused the critical nature. But we've been talking about this since 2019. We've been communicating this since 2019 that the hospitals in dire state. So this has not been in a vacuum from my perspective. I respect your opinion and just want you to understand a lot of this has been driven from a timing perspective in the rapid increase of cost. Yes. Thank you. All right. I want to close this item on the agenda out by stating what, what it where this all started. It stemmed from last week when our EMS director made the report to us about how the closing of the hospital or the transitioning of the hospital will affect the county financially. So, Mr. Josh Van Deeper, if I could impose on you to kind of recap to the court and the public for that matter, what kind of an economic drain this will have on our county, please. So, uh, the Mr. Kimball has actually asked me uh, over time, knowing the financial position of the hospital, uh, for some data. So I had some general knowledge and some reports put together of what this could look like. Uh, Mr. McBroom, as well as the judge, have both asked me uh, to, to look at some things. And so in a retrospective, I'm going to qualify this information with a lot of things because this information is not good statistical data. There's no scientific way to gather what we have had gathered to provide this information to the commissioners and to the public. Um, we have estimated about a 1.15 best guess figure as what we think the dollar amount of impact on Fayette County EMS through your tax dollars is going to be. The, the subcategories you know, that we've broken that down by are labor costs. We believe there's a strong possibility we'll have to add a crew in the range. Uh, the ranch is our busiest, busiest truck, and it used to have our shortest transport time. Um, that is all out the window uh, in the event that about 20%, what we're seeing, and again, a limited sample of data, since the ER is a, since the hospital has gone to this REH, we've seen about a 20% reduction in the patients that go to St. Mark's, and that used to represent about 40% of our call. Um, those patients are going, you know, a split to Columbus, Smithville, or to Austin. Mostly to Columbus and Austin is what we're seeing. Um, as, as you all know, most of the time when we're called is for either orthopedic injuries or possible surgical cases or people that are, have, have bad infections and, and need to be on IV antibiotics over a period of time and in a hospital we're able to take them. Um, we're going to be every week, every month, we're going to be looking at this data to see if it shakes up to our, our uh, calculations. Uh, we, we do believe that this is where we're going to be at. You know, being that a county budget is something that, you know, goes through the commissioner's court and eventually we're accountable to the voters. We're going to see what you guys are able to give us. We're going to see what you guys are okay giving us. And we're going to do the best we can to, to render services to our citizens. Um, county budget's a whole year. So we have to budget it because we have to know that in six months from now everything could drastically change and there's Money is there. The money that is there is there. Um, it may come as a surprise to everyone in the room. I'm a pretty fiscally conservative guy. Uh, I, I try to be pragmatic with these issues. Uh, fuel, wear and tear on ambulances, 
availability of ambulances. If we ordered an ambulance today, the nearest quote that we received is that we will receive it by the end of 2025. Also, that's an ambulance that we paid $239,000 for last year, that next year will be $329,000, $90,000 in one year. So I am sympathetic to the rising cost of business. And the taxpayers hopefully will be sympathetic to us and give us the money we need to operate. Um, again, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna do our best to, to be responsive to the community. Um, I've had a lot of people call me to ask me what this looked like. You know, the, the judge and all the commissioners have, have asked for things, uh, but that 1.15 million is, is the best guess. It's not a scare tactic, and I don't think it's gonna be much better than that. Um, so that's where we're at, and then what I would ask, I know Commissioner McBroom has said this uh, multiple times, I think no matter what the path forward from the hospital is, you guys have to start facilitating some open meetings and discussing this stuff with real transparency in this community, because this community is never going to support the hospital management unless they start getting answers. And that's up to you guys to facilitate. Um, and so that's pretty much where, where I sit on it. Thank you, Mr. Bandy. We appreciate that. Any other comment, or I'll entertain a motion to uh, accept the reports by Mr. Kendrick, Mr. Pilot, and Mr. Kimball. I'll, uh, I'll make a motion. Before I make this motion, I just got one comment. You know, whenever whenever you get put in a position, if you're a commissioner or judges, you know, you take on certain responsibilities. And as you being the CEO, you being the CEO, and you being the chairman, you all have certain responsibilities that you took on for your job. Today, from y'all, I've never heard one single time y'all own up to something that y'all could have changed or something that you could have did different. You put the blame on you know, the federal government, the state government. You put the blame on the county, the citizens for not supporting your hospital. More. There has to be something somewhere down the line that you could have did different to try to save this hospital. To do the way I feel is that not only did you fail your doctors, your nurses, your employees, but you also failed this county and these citizens. And we deserve better than uh, I move that we accept all comments concerning the transition of St. Mark's Medical Center to a rural emergency hospital. Second. The motion been made by Commissioner Brosman, seconded by Commissioner Birkenhoff. All in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. Gentlemen, let's take a break. We've still got 22 more items to back.